Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. We're going to talk about the day that changed the world tonight. So let me begin by telling a story tonight. In the 15th and 16th century, there was a family that rose to global power. Uh, the Borgias, also known as the Borgias. They were a European papal family of Spanish origin that became prominent during the Renaissance period. Now, some of you guys are familiar with this. There are some movies out there on Netflix and whatnot um, that follow this story and whatnot. How much of that is true, I don't know because I don't watch the show. But, but this is a prominent, powerful papal family. I mean, think about that for a moment. They ruled from the 15th century all the way through the 16th century. That's a, that's a thousand years. I mean, we in our day and age, we, we think it's bad when we see nepotism in our government. We, we got what, Bush Jr. or Sr., Bush Jr., we got it. <laughs> Bill, and then we got Hillary. I'm like, well, for, like for 20 years, we've had the same people ruling, right? Yeah, then you got the Kennedys, you know, you've got Rockefellers and Rothschilds and whatnot before that. Yeah, I mean, this is, our government has got nothing on the Borgias. A thousand years, essentially, of power and influence through the Renaissance era. As a matter of fact, I want to begin here tonight. Can I see our first graphic for the evening? The Borgias, who were they? Well, they controlled Europe and beyond. The family produced three popes of the Catholic Church. Uh, the first, Pope uh, Calixitus. The third, he was born Alphonse de Borgia. He served as pope from April uh, 8, 1455, until his death only three years later. Pope Alexander VI, he served as pope from August 11th, 1492, until his death in 1503. His maternal uncle was the previous pope. As a matter of fact, this Pope Alexander VI, uh, famous quote that comes to us from the history of the Huguenots during the 16th century, uh, says this, so undisguised, so undisguised, uh, was this pope's passion for arms, in other words, military, weaponry, swords, and whatnot. A pope, think of this now, religious man, right? Jesus Christ's representation on earth here, sitting in the throne of Peter, as they say. So undisguised was this pope's passion for arms that when Michelangelo, who was employed, who was employed in making a statue of him, asked if he would not like to have a book placed in his hand instead of a sword, he answered, rather as a sword, for I should know better how to make use of the sword than the book. This is your pope we're talking about here. Oh my, uh, back to the graphic, Pope Innocent X then, another Borgia, ruled till 1655. There's three pope, uh, popes from that same Borgia family right there. In any case, back to Alexander VI, who I mentioned briefly a moment ago. During the reign of Alexander VI, 
these Borgias, they were suspected of many, many crimes, many crimes, including adultery, incest, uh, theft, sodomy, bribery, murder, especially murder by the use of arsenic, as a matter of fact. So poisoning. I want you to just hit pause for a second and remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about the men who are supposed to be the religious leaders for all of Christendom here. All right? Because of their grasping for power, they made enemies of another family, the Medici. They made uh, uh, enemies of the uh, Sephorza. And the, I'm talking Italian now. Uh, uh, they made enemies of the, the Dominican friar, uh, Gerolamo Savonarola. We need some Italians to help me with the names up in here. Uh, among many others. They made enemies of all of these prominent Italian families as well, okay? Through their grasping for power. They were also patrons of the arts, though. Great patrons of the arts, history records. Uh, patrons contributing to the Renaissance arts. So, you know, at least that was good, right? So, <laughs> following Alexander VI, uh, their political rivals, the Medicis then, you got the Borgias we're talking about. The Medicis, then the Medici family rises to power. They briefly held power as they had, uh, they had a, a pope in there themselves until uh, Pope Innocent X, who was briefly on our list a minute ago, he took over at that point. Well, Pope Leo, can we see this next graphic? Pope Leo of that Medici line uh, he held the office from 1475 to 1521. Uh, he said this. We have it. He said, you know, since God has given us the Medicis, the papacies, I mean, we should enjoy it, right? Isn't that why God would have given us such power to rule, uh, rule his church here on earth? Um, I'm going somewhere with this tonight, I promise. I'm trying to, I told you, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm telling a story. I'm painting a picture here. So we have got corruption, corruption in politics and power that is gained blasphemously. In the name of Jesus, are they gaining power and claiming authority to rule and rule in such a matter? Murder by poisoning of your political enemies? My goodness, theft, bribery, incest in the highest religious office of the land? What else is new, right? Seriously, what else is new? I mean, so they go, they go Borgia, uh, they go Borgia, Medici, Borgia, we're going Bush, Clinton, Bush, Kennedy, all of the, all of the above, right? Not to mention the four families that basically run California. Not a lot of people know, but, but there's basically four fam families that uh, via nepotism run, just take turns uh, in different offices. Four families have predominantly got all of politics under their thumb in the state of California. Not much is new, right? My California friends would be able to uh, vouch for that. Uh, we've got corruption corruption, corruption, uh, church. I, you know, there's nothing new under the sun is what Solomon uh, always said, isn't it? I, I, why do I bring it up then? 
If there's nothing new under the sun, well, for, for two reasons. For one, for one, if you don't know history, if you don't know history, what? You're doomed to repeat it, right? You've heard me say that before, right? That's an original quote from me. No, no. If you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. Secondly, if it was specifically, it was specifically under the Borgia reign that a specific heresy became prevalent. That's, that, is, that is everything for us tonight. Can we see this next graphic? Something happened specifically under the Borgia papal reign, and it was this, the sale of forgiveness. The sale of forgiveness, the sale of indulgences. In other words, you want to be forgiven by God, it's going to cost you, right? In other words, if you want to keep your salvation, but you know you want to do some sinful things on the side, all right, well, we can probably work that out for you, but you're going to have to, you know, give the Pope a little kickback and he'll talk to uh, Jesus. You know, ultimately he's Jesus here on earth in that seat, so he's got the authority. So, you know, maybe if you make a big enough donation to the church, you know, maybe we'll look the other way uh, with your extramarital affairs, you know, and keep you still in good standing of the church. That sort of thing, the sale of indulgences, and that's just scratching the surface. This is a kid's show, right? So I can't go too much into it. The sale of forgiveness and the sale of indulgences. Do you have sin? Is it multiplying in your life? No problem. If you've got the cash, if you've got a dead relative who didn't know Jesus when he died, well, you can, did you know that you can pay the church to ensure that he goes to heaven? Or she? Did you know that? As a matter of fact, though, um, keep in mind, the more uh, of a uh, uh, heathen they were, the more recklessly they lived their lives, the more it's going to cost, okay? Just so you're prepared when you get the bill, okay? Um, now, can you understand why this might be a problem? Do you understand why this might be just... Just a little, little bit of a problem. Okay, please say yes. Somebody on this feed is saying yes right now, right? So, uh, had you been enlightened, truly, had you been enlightened by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us after having put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and received the free gift of forgiveness, free gift of grace, by faith, not by works, if you had been enlightened and alive at the time, this may have been a big, big problem for you, right? It may have made you angry, very angry. It still makes me mad to think about, and it was a thousand years ago, right? So, or 500 years ago, whatever it is now, right? Well, it did make somebody mad. It did make somebody quite mad. Any guesses on who it made mad? in the context of the day that changed the world, perhaps. Can I see this next picture? This was a Sir Martin Luther. And there's a lot of different pictures or paintings of Martin Luther out there on the internet that uh, um, I had to pick from. I picked this one because this is really how I view Martin Luther. Look at him in this picture as he pours over the text, as he pours over the word, of God. To me, this is probably the most accurate, <laughs> accurate 
painting of Martin Luther, who wrote most of the German language, by the way, so he could produce a Bible they could actually read. Well, he had not just one major problem with the Borgias' way of doing things and representing our God. He actually had 95 of them. He actually had 95 of them. In 1517, he nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Catholic Church door. Back then, you understand, you used to nail things to the door. It was like a bulletin board, right? You'd put little things, because everybody would go to church, and if you had, you know, a missing goat or something or whatever, right, you'd put notes on it. Well, same thing. He went straight to, the, straight to the door of the church, and he nailed his 95, 95 problems onto that door. Does anybody know what day that was? It's so hap- what day that so happened to be? Most assuredly, most of you do. Uh, let's just look at this next graphic. Can we put that on the screen? October 31st, 1517. What else is significant about this day other than Martin Luther nailing his 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg church? Well, it's, it's all Hallows' Eve. Halloween. That's where we get Halloween. The name Halloween is from All Hallows' Eve. Holy Eve, in other words, All Saints' Day. In other words, this is the day that the Catholics remembered the departed saints. They chose this day of all days, curiously, to honor and remember the dead saints. You didn't know that Halloween, many of you didn't know that Halloween was a Catholic holiday, did you? Well, that's because originally it's not. Uh, originally. But we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that in a minute, okay? Luther was called to task for doing this, by the way, uh, by the Pope in 1521 at the Council of Worms in Germany, okay? Pope Leo X, we mentioned him briefly before, okay? Uh, Burgess, so you know what you're getting into with these people, okay? We, now, now we understand how, why it helps to know the whole backstory on who these people are, okay? And uh, and how deep the rabbit hole goes, he's called before, called before the council in Germany by Pope Leo, Pope Leo. Luther was quoted as saying on that day, can we see the quote on the screen? He said this, he said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the Pope's and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Amen. And this is the birth of the Reformation. Now, what we, uh, part of the story that often gets lost after that is that they put a hit out on him after this. They were not too pleased. As a matter of fact, as he was leaving uh, uh, Worms in Germany, a good friend of his intercepted him on the road and, and they pulled him off the main roads and, and into hiding. And they actually, that's ultimately, it was in hiding uh, where he ended up translating uh, 
the Bible into German, okay? And, and, ha- and in the process, he had to write much of the uh, German language to accomplish it. <sighs> wow. Can I just, I want you for imagine, we talk about the, the deep state nowadays and how evil and powerful they are, right? And the global elites and all of that. Uh, and we imagine, just imagine they decide to, to bring down fire on you, bring their, their uh, punishments down on you for going against the great. It's scary, right? Think of, think of Martin Luther standing before the Borgias. What he had, had to know was going to be coming for him if he didn't recant. No wonder he said, God help me. And I guarantee you, he meant that. And he did, that was not just a figure of speech to him in this sentence as it so often is to us in our common tongue. Well, God help us, right? No, seriously, God help me, right? Um, selling lies was a big, big business back then. And it is a big, big business today. We know that to be true. And if you want to stand against them, those who are selling the lies, buying the lies, in the lie trade, as you would say, if you want to stand against them, it's going to cost you. Martin Luther knew that it was going to cost him to stand for the truth. But what did he say? My conscience is captive to the word of God. Mm. He said, rather, it's not safe to go against my conscience as I stand before an almighty and holy God. Amen to that. And that's the proper perspective we must have. As times get dark and as uh, we're pressured to shrink back, not to, not to stand forward and be bold when we know the opportunity is upon us. So, if you're, if you're going to want to stand against them, it's going to cost you. And so here's an, our application point tonight. Can we see our application point this evening? Our next one. Are you willing to pay? Are you willing to pay? Look at your husband. Look at your wife. And I want you, if, if you're in the room with somebody you love, or look at your cats if you're alone. I don't know. Look within yourself. Are you willing to pay? If you're not, okay, if you're not, and if you need some excuses, I've got some I can lend you, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't have any that I can convince myself of. So uh, hopefully you, they won't be any good to you either. The problem is this, church. The problem is this. And when you know the truth, the problem when you know the truth is this. And we see this next point, this next application point. The truth, without fail, without fail, always gives death to lies. So you can lie to yourself as much as you want to. You can try to lie to yourself as much as you want to. But when you know the truth deep down in here, that clawing, that gnawing of the Holy Spirit, that conscience within you, I'm telling you, it's better just to step out into the light, Stand up, stand strongly, stand boldly and say, do what you will. Do what you will then, do what you will. God help me. Amen? Amen. So, this truth, this truth that 
gives death to lies. All truth gives death to lies. But there was a truth in particular that Martin Luther was holding on to and could not recant in the sights and the light of the Borgias and their wickedness and their cruelty and their immor- immorality and their selling of forgiveness, right? What was the truth that Luther was holding on to? Well, uh, this, is, uh, this is actually really convenient for us because we've been studying Romans the last couple weeks and we will be going forward for a while as well. Uh, you know, this is truly, uh, Romans is one of the epistles that truly inspired Martin Luther. So when it's this time of year, we tend to talk about Martin Luther and the Reformation a little bit more. This is just really uh, beneficial to us because in our first message of Romans, I shared with you a little bit about Martin Luther, and I'm just going to uh, share with you again tonight, and this will be beneficial, especially for those that missed week one's in our Romans study. But what was the truth that Luther was holding on to? Well, prior, prior to Martin Luther becoming the great reformer, he struggled. He struggled. Uh, The question that he repeatedly wrote in his diary was, how can a man find favor with God? In search of such peace, Martin devoted himself to an exceedingly pious lifestyle. Very pious, trying to find uh, peace with God, right? Find favor with God. I'll be as pious as I can be. Makes sense, right? He would fast for 10 to 15 days at a time, okay? When temperatures dropped below freezing, he slept outside without a blanket. The idea was to punish his flesh as much as he could. Between his studies, he would actually beat his body until it was black and blue and bleeding, hoping that somehow by punishing his flesh, he could rid himself of the thoughts and motives that he knew were not right. These actually were typical practices of the medieval church. He went to confession so many times, and I love this. He went to confession so many times a day that finally the abbot said to him, Martin, either go out and commit a sin worth confessing or stop coming here so often. (sighs) Finally, you talk about a tortured soul. I've known some. Finally, in 1509, Martin decided to make a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage to Rome in hope of finding the elusive peace, the elusive peace for which he longed. He set out on foot across the Alps. Upon the descent, he almost died of high fever before making his way to a monastery at the foot of the mountains. Their brothers nursed him back to health. While he was there, a wise monk approached him and said this. He said, you need to read the book of Habakkuk. You need to read the book of Habakkuk. And so Martin did just that. He read Habakkuk. And that was a good suggestion because Habakkuk was a struggler just like Martin was. Just like he was. Like people today, Martin had, had questions. If God is good, then why does he allow suffering? If there uh, really is a devil, then why doesn't God just obliterate him already, right? You know, we throw out questions and then we plunge into our personal pursuits and we go on with our lives, right? And then we wonder why we don't get answers because we never stuck around long enough to find the answers. But in his study, 
One verse captured Martin's imagination more than any other verse, and that verse was Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where it simply says, the just shall live by faith. Luther could not get this out of his mind. The just shall live by faith. Hmm. That was a passage. That was a a passage that the Apostle Paul would use as a cornerstone for three of his epistles. Romans, as we mentioned already, Galatians, and Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. The just, Romans. Who are the just? Shall live. Galatians, how shall we live? By faith. What is faith? Hebrews. Now, if you are enjoying our Romans series, uh, we just finished up chapter 2 on Sunday, and we're going to be going into chapter 3. So if you're uh, looking forward to that and you uh, hadn't gotten a head start yet, uh, you're going to be ahead of the game for watching Wednesday night service with us tonight. Let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 20 through 30. In light of everything that Martin Luther was up against, in light of that, let's read this together. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Wow. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Did you see what that said there in verse 22? Through what? Say it out loud, somebody. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who what? Believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, verse 23, for all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. I should have underlined that one, apologies. For all, who? All. Well, who does all mean? What's that mean in the Greek? It means all have sinned, everybody, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, verse 24. But guess what? They are all justified freely by his Grace. And what is grace? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. It is haris in the Greek. It is God's extension towards you. Every other religion in the world is about you going to God and pleading, saying you're sorry, and and trying to make yourself worthy, bring him gifts, bring him sacrifice, bring him proving you can can measure up. Just accept. No, what, what does God do? God, the true God, Yehovah, Yehovah, Yeshua HaMashiach, comes down to us. That is grace. And that is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Not to mention, it's the only religion where our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, doesn't have a tomb you can go visit, for the record. Mm. All justified freely by his Grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Verse 26, 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. And this is important. There's, there's a bloodless cross that is being taught in many churches today. We mustn't lose sight of the importance of the shedding of his, of his blood that truly was the sealing of the new covenant. To be, to be received, and here it is, though, through the shedding of his blood, how do you receive it in the sealing of that covenant? Uh, covenant? To be received by faith. Does that say to be received uh, by um, payments, Pope? Is that Pope Innocent? Is that to be received by a payment of no smaller than 10,000 pounds? No. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it, and we'll get into that on Sunday. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Amen? Verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works. No. The law that requires works. Excuse me, wrong tone. The law that requires works. No. Because of the law that requires faith. Verse 28, for we maintain, and this is big. Come on, come on now. This is big. Underline this in your Bible if you haven't yet. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Who needed to hear that tonight? Somebody that's struggling through uh, condom, the, the ministry of condemnation through bad Hebrew roots teaching? Is it somebody who's struggling with uh, legalism through, through, uh, through bad... Uh, uh, Pentecostal UPC teaching, whatever cult it is, I'm telling you, there is one gospel. And if you've got a different gospel that says, it says faith plus works, that's a different Jesus. Because the Jesus of the Bible gives it freely to those who believe by faith, not by works. Read verse 28 again with me. For we maintain... Does anybody want to know what Life Story Church believes? Here it is. For we maintain that a person is justified, the gavel has struck, the judge has said not guilty, by faith apart from the works of the law. And apart from even the laws that they made up in the last century. (laughs) All right? It always gets me how people, there are these legalistic sects uh, of of the faith, uh, if you can even call it that, they're, they're, they're throwing burden and condemnation and judgment and law onto people that's not even Mosaic law or Levitical law even. It's just crap they made up. I mean, honestly. So let's keep reading. Verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Verse 30. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, verse 30, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. 
and again, we'll jump into that more on Sunday, but we remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, I have come not to do away with the law. Don't think that I have come to fulfill the law. Ooh, that's good, isn't it? That's good. This passage, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 through 30, why do I take the time, 31, why do I take the time to read through all of it? Because this might be a problem for, for those who are trying to sell forgiveness. This might be a problem for those who are trying to sell forgiveness just a little bit. Maybe, don't you think? But, you know, the Catholics, you know, they aren't the only ones trying to sell, sell you grace and sell you mercy and trying to sell you what Jesus is already offering you for free. Oh, that makes me mad. Dirt bags, right? Ah. Uh. And I mean, in particular, this Borgia version of the Catholic Church, although I don't have uh, much more confidence in the false prophet that's in, uh, sitting in uh, Rome today. There's plenty of Protestant churches that have absolutely hijacked the gospel for their own financial and temporal gain. I've recommended it before. I think you, everybody should watch the American gospel on uh, what is it, on Prime, I think, before it's taken down, if it's not already. I mean, anything they can sell you, they will sell you. Uh, they'll sell you pride. They'll sell you pride in your own achievement. They'll sell you a gospel that says, you know what, if you just do this, this, and this, you can have confidence that you're saved. But, you know, you got to make sure you do this, this, and this, and they're making money off it. They're, they're, making, they're gaining power and influence over you off of it as well. Uh, ultimately, every, you got to understand every one of these, whatever it is, no matter how twisted the false gospel is, they're making profit off the, the wicked uh, uh, that are truly behind it. They are making profit off of it, but at the same time, what they're doing is they're taking glory from Jesus. Because Jesus, Jesus gets all of the glory. You see, you understand, when, when Jesus says, you know what, I did it all on the cross, you do nothing but come to me. You who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Put your faith and trust in me that what I did was enough and that you can rest in my hands and I won't lose you from my hand. For all of eternity, you'll be with me. My father's house has many mansions. I've prepared a place for you. you know, I went there. Why would I go there if I'm not gonna bring you to where I am? I've prepared the place for all of this beautiful, all of this beautiful stuff he is telling us here, right? Uh, it's, it, he did it. Now, if, if all of a sudden, if I've got to do X, Y, and Z to earn it and be good enough, that takes away from what he did. That's starting to say, okay, well, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. Actually, to get to heaven and to be saved and have a, a security in your eternal destination, what needs to happen is, you, yeah, okay, believe in Jesus, but now you got to do this, and now you've got to do that. Now, make sure you don't do that, okay? Because if, if you don't do this, eh, and if you do do this, right, then uh, you might blow it. Because I guess Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough, and it wasn't complete, enough to forgive your sins, past, present, and future, like he said, like Paul said. Oh, anytime we fall for that lie, we are robbing glory from God. And whether you feel like it or not, you're taking it for yourself. 
Even if you just feel beat down, if you feel like a failure, I can't get it right, I can't get it right. And yeah, what, it doesn't matter. If you, if you genuinely don't think that the cross was enough to secure your eternal destination, and you think that Jesus needs you to complete this transaction, you're taking glory away from him and, and inferring it onto yourself no matter what your mental state is. And that should give you peace and rest. It's not on you. It's on him. It's all on him. I don't know who I'm talking to right now. But your sins are not for sale. Do you know that? Your sins are not for sale. They have already been purchased. They've already been purchased. Your debt, they're not selling your debt to, uh, you know how those credit card companies, they'll, they'll sell your debt and you get letters from different companies and whatnot. <laughs> No, there's, there, nobody's selling your debt. No one's buying your sins because they have already been purchased and they have not been purchased with money. They have been purchased with blood. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Can you understand why Martin Luther would be so enraged as somebody who read Habakkuk 2.4 and understood? He got it. He read Paul. He read Romans and he got it. And he looked, and he, that's what he saw. That's what he saw. Mm. Oh, church. Salvation is not for sale. It's yours to be taken. It's free. It's free. It's good news, isn't it? His goodness and his mercy is chasing you down. And it won't relent because his grace is relentless. One of my favorite verses, I threw it in here tonight. Uh, I thought it was fitting. Psalm 23, verse six. Can we read that? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Wait a minute. Is that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life so long as I don't screw it up? No, I don't see that in there. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a declaration of uh, uh, eternal address. A declaration. I'm going to, where is the house of the Lord? He's not talking about church. He's talking about that holy house, that holy mansion. I'll dwell there forever. Why? Because his goodness and mercy are following me and that word follow, I love this. The word follow there in the, in the um, Hebrew is this. It's the word radaf. Can we see that? Radaf. It means to pursue, put to flight, chase, dog. I love that. Attend closely upon to run after a bride. Are you kidding me? A fig to run after. To be pursued ardently. Aim eagerly to secure. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Jesus. Surely goodness and mercy shall harass me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will be dogging me like a dog after me, right? Dog the bounty hunter after you. Goodness and mercy. Imagine that guy's on your trail, right? That's goodness and mercy on you. Goodness and mercy is aiming to secure you. Goodness and mercy mm, 
is chasing you, will chase you down all the days of my life. The day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the Catholic Church, the day that he did it, that thesis of rebellion against the Borgias, right? The culture around him, you have to understand it. Imagine if that's how the Pope was behaving, right? The culture around him was participating in traditions co-opted by the Catholics, co-opted by the Catholics, okay? So pagan rituals, that as the Catholics moved into these areas, as Catholicism uh, took their hold politically, obviously we know they weren't just religious, they were a political strength and power. Uh, they would co-opt these pagan rituals and say, well, this is, you know, we're going to honor some saint on this day and just everybody keep having your party on the same day. You good with that? We'll let you have your party. We're just going to call it something else. Catholic now, okay, right? So uh, this particular day, uh, this particular day, October 31st, they would, they would, they would call it guising and souling around. Guys and soul. What would they do? They would go door to door dressed as demons. Catholics, Christians, right? Going door to door. And the pagans, of course. Catholics participating. Souling, baking soul cakes. Remember, look, they're going to honor, they're honoring the dead saints here on this day, remember? Well, the pagans would also carve jack-o'-lanterns. The druids would burn human flesh in the jack-o'-lantern. It's difficult to think about, right? They would light bones on fire from human sacrifices that they had done. They would call them bone fires, right? It's where we get our term for having a bonfire. Anybody? Mm-mm-mm. So... Why of all days would Martin Luther choose this day to nail his 95 thesis to the door of that church in Wittenberg, Germany? Well, I think because Martin Luther would have known, he would have known full well everything that, that uh, um, had been taken into the church culturally, the co-opting of every... Martin Luther knew exactly what day this was and what the significance to October 31st was. It wasn't the day really to honor saints. It wasn't all saints day. It was like I said before. I told you we'd get to it later, right? It wasn't all saints day. Martin knew that this was a co-opted pagan religion. Religion, co-opted pagan holiday, right? Let me share something with you. I've got a few different uh, uh, passages to read you. This comes to, the, for, to us from the book of Jasher, verses 17 through 20. Can we see that first graphic? And the sons of men came unto Noah into the ark, and they called to Noah, saying, Open for us, that we may come into the ark. And Noah answered them from the ark, saying, Have you not all rebelled against the Lord, and said that he does not exist is this not the thing that I spoke to you of 120 years back and you would not hearken to the voice of the Lord? Joshua chapter 6 again, verses 18, 21, 24, and 25. 
Next graphic. And they called to Noah, saying, and they called to Noah, saying, Open for us, that we may come in to thee in the ark, that we may live and not die. And the sons of men approached in order to break into the ark, to come in on account of the rain, for they could not bear the rain upon them. Can you imagine? It had never rained before. That must have been felt so strange at the same time. And the Lord sent all the beasts and animals and stood around the ark, and the beasts overpowered the men and drove them from that place, and every man went his way. Interesting, isn't it? That's one of the things that I mentioned in the book of Asher back in our angels and demons study, and as in the days of Noah's studies, is that this is not scripture. That's not what we're taking it as. However, this was a historical document. It was looked at as a historical document by the disciples and the people of Jesus' age. It's actually mentioned in the Bible in three different places, twice in the Old Testament and once by Paul as well. So it's a well-verified well-verified text for us to, to benefit from in regards to adding color to what the word of God has already set up for us. None of it contradicts the word of God. So uh, let's keep reading one more. Enoch, uh, same story with Enoch, 64, one through three. In those days, just before the flood, Noah saw that the earth became inclined, interesting, and that the destruction approached. Then he lifted up his feet and went to the ends of the earth, to the dwelling of his great-grandfather Enoch. And Noah cried with a bitter voice, hear me, hear me, hear me, three times. And he said, tell me what is transcending or transacting upon the earth, for the earth labors and is violently shaken. Surely I shall perish with it. And one more, one more uh, graphic for this evening on that. Or I think we have two more, actually. Joshua 6, verse 11. There we go. And on that day, as Noah finished loading the ark, the Lord caused the whole earth to shake, and the sun darkened, and the foundations of the world raged. And the whole earth was moved violently, and the lightning flashed, and the thunder roared, and all the fountains in the earth were broken up, such as was not known to the inhabitants before. And a summary on this last uh, graphic. According to... The book of Enoch, the wicked spirits who harass and torment humanity today are the spirits of the Nephilim, or giants, the hybrid offspring of fallen angels and human women mentioned in Genesis 6, who were destroyed in the flood. Noah and family boarded the ark on Sheshvan 17, or as we call it, October 31st. This was the day, this was the day that God liberated the world of evil. He liberated the world of evil, of uh, liberated the world of those Satan had hoped to thwart, <laughs> thwart the promises of God through. He wanted to use these He had set up a way to cut off the seed line of Christ in Genesis 6. And God ensured and secured the seed line of the Messiah that day by wiping the earth clean of this evil dead. Upon getting off of the ark, um, 
Noah says to his uh, family, we will honor this day. Every year we'll honor this day as the day that God cleansed the earth from wickedness. On the, this, will be the, this is the anniversary of the flood is what we celebrate. Yet, rather than celebrating the flood and the good that God accomplished through it, the, the fact that we have salvation, the seed line was maintained all the way up to Jesus Christ through Noah. We're to be celebrating that. Rather, the world chooses to celebrate the evil dead that perished. Noah's Sam, uh, son, son Ham was the first who was angry at God for killing that old life. He missed it. He enjoyed it. Yet he was saved because he was Noah's son. But he and through his son, uh, Canaan, brought back all of these evil practices, not fully, but many of them. Uh, and it was in short order, as we studied previously, in that, uh, as in the days of Noah study, that um, soon the world would celebrate the dead, the evil dead that were lost, and celebrate their memory, the memory of the evil, rather than celebrating the incredible thing that God had done, the miracle that he had done to preserve a path to salvation for all of us. The church of the Borgias at the time of Martin Luther had brought this evil celebration within its doors and worse into their rebellious hearts. I don't don't believe it's a coincidence at all that Martin Luther chose that day of all days to nail his thesis to the world, to the, the door of that church in Wittenberg, Germany. The world is trying to sell you a lie trying to sell you a lie, yet the truth speaks. We have cause to celebrate October 31st, and we should. The day that God saved Noah and his family, thus the seed line of the Messiah. Are you kidding me? Come on. And the day that God liberated us from another works-based religion in 1517. He liberated us. We have plenty of reason to celebrate as the church on October 31st. Truly the day that changed the world. The day of the flood and the day of the Protestant Reformation. Liberty, truly salvation with Noah and liberty. Liberty through the true gospel being restored. Mm. This is grace personified church and we'll wrap this up. You don't get what you deserve. You don't get what you deserve. This is salvation. This is grace. Unmerited favor. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved. God reaching out to you through faith. Not, Not a purchase order with the Pope. Not by works. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God. They're trying to sell you what's already free. Mm. His grace has overcome so much throughout the generations. It has spared no detail. 
It journeys to find you. It journeys to find you. It's relentless. It's chasing you down even now. It's time you surrender. What are you waiting for? It's time you surrender. I say, what are you waiting for? Our God is a God of timing, and maybe this is your time. Maybe this is your moment right now. Maybe you've been running, and you have been, you have, the Holy Spirit has been telling you just to stop running and surrender. You know, it's also no coincidence, by the way, that uh, the printing press was only recently invented uh, in the late 1400s. So it was perfectly timed to distribute Luther's work, distribute his thesis, distribute the Bibles that he would pen in a tongue that the layman could read. I'm telling you, church, our God is a God of timing. For 400 plus years, all of the, all of the people in Israel thought that God was silent. Why, is it, why isn't he sending any prophets anymore? Why isn't he talking? The Romans were building the roads that would carry the gospel, and when they were ready, Jesus came right on time, as prophesied to the day. God is a God of timing. So uh, last scripture, and I just threw this in there at the last because I came across it <clears throat> at the very end as I was wrapping up my message today. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. And now, why are you waiting? I love it. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Call on the name of the Lord if you have yet to surrender to the grace of God. It's the perfect time to do it. We are celebrating so much right now, this time of year. We are remembering so much right now this October 31st. What better time to do it? So with every eye closed, every heart, heart bowed, head bowed, just even if you're alone in your room right now, I want you to do this. There's something about doing, the, doing something physical when something's happening spiritually. Spiritual things affect physical things. Physical things affect spiritual things, so on and so forth. Close your eyes. Bow your head, bow your heart, raise your hands even. If, you're, if it's time for you to stop running, if it's time for you to surrender into that relentless grace of God, that free gift that has been chasing you down, maybe it's because you don't think that you deserve it. So you've been trying to run to other religions or Christian cults that want to teach you of a different Jesus who says that you've got to measure up now too and you've got to have a part in this uh, debt payment I'm telling you right now, Jesus' yoke and burden are light and easy. And he wants to take your debt. He wants to take your anxiety. He wants to take your fear from you. Right now, I want you to give it to him. I want you to just hand it over. What are you waiting for right now? Let's be baptized in the Holy Spirit when you believe. Ephesians chapter 1 says, when you believe, your heart is sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance as a fully legally adopted heir to the kingdom of God. So just release yourself into his hands. Say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I let go. I let go. I admit I can't do it. I am born into sin. 
what I want to do, I don't do. What I do want to do, I don't do. Lord Jesus, who will save me from this body of death, I know you can. Save me, Jesus. Save me. Hosanna. Save now, Lord Jesus. Lift me up, Lord God. Give me hope. Give me a future. Give me joy in my heart, Lord Jesus. I surrender my fears to you. I will fear no more. I will fear no more. I surrender my anxiety to you, Lord God. I know that you hold my future. You're not surprised by this day in my life. So I rest in you in your presence now, Lord God. Oh, Lord Jesus, make my heart whole for it's missing a piece as long as you're gone, Lord. Fill my heart and make me new. Walk with me all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I hope you enjoyed this evening's study. We'll see you Sunday morning. But don't forget, don't forget as well, we have our big fall festival, fall festival this Saturday, okay? Uh, Look on the family page for details. If you want to sign up for Chili, but you're not on Facebook, you can email info at lifestorychurch.com. We're going to do the big chili cook-off, and it's always a blast. Hayride for kids and games, and it's going to be so much fun. So make sure you make plans to be there with your church family. And if you're not a part of Life Story Church yet, you're invited. It's a great uh, opportunity for you to come meet us, okay? And uh, who knows, maybe the Lord's uh, leading you to be a part of what he's doing here uh, in the West Nashville um, area. So we love you guys. Have a great night. Rest well. See you Saturday and then Sunday morning at the Rutledge West in Pegram off the Macquarie Lane exit. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, pour his favor, grace, and love out on you. May you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night.